You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. Except for I want to invite you into Revelation chapter 21. And so I want to invite you into uh, what we have over uh, the last week and for the next week we'll uh, we'll experience as uh, something we, we do every so often to stop uh, walking through books of the Bible and, and simply kind of hone in on something that applies specifically to us. And for us, this is to look at what really makes Connection Church Connection Church. What is it that we really value and what is it that we highly esteem? What are the things we'll fight and die for? And so I want to invite you to Revelation chapter 21. It is the second to last chapter in the entirety of the Bible. And so you can find it on uh, if, that's, that's, if you have a paper Bible, you just find the end and come back till you find Revelation 21. Uh, search, Google it, find it on an app that you have, on a device that you have, and, uh, and join us there as we've been walking through what we, we'll call like the three uh, primary and core values of Connection Church. That is the gospel and, and being gospel-centered. We talked about how that plays out for us last week as, as we're a people who esteem and are enchanted by the story of what God has been doing in creation since the beginning. That is redeeming it back to himself through Jesus Christ. That's the story that enthralls us. It mesmerizes us. And, and in fact, we, we do the very best we can to simply locate our own story and find value in our own stories only insofar as they fit into the greater story that God has been telling from the beginning. But the second one we would say is, that is community. What does it mean to be the people of God? That, that's a that can be a buzzword, a junk drawer that lots of things get thrown into. But, but as we would simply try to define it biblically, is that we think the Scripture says that we're a people of God, His own possession. And so I want to hone in on that and, and we'll walk through that together as we read Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to read the first 23 verses and we'll begin to dig into asking the question, what does it look like to be the people who are enthralled by and mesmerized by this story in Sioux Falls, beginning in verse 1 of Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold! The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is 
the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. It's radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had, it had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates, and on the north, three gates, and on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length and its width, or the length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. First there was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates was made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. My prayer is that these words of God would would become more than just ink on a page for us. And that they would come to life and grant hope and joy to us. We see here a picture that John is relaying to us as best he can. That God has granted through an angel for the Apostle John to see the end of the story before it got there. And John is bringing into view the very great value of what God has waiting for and in store for his people. And that's what the entirety of the book of Revelation is. And here we are at the very end. Now, now the, the, the churches that have been written to and encouraged at the very beginning of the book of Revelation have made it through this awful tribulation And now Jesus has come back in the preceding chapters, and now he's making all things new. And this bigger story is the great and beautiful story that the people of God find themselves a part of. 
John gives us a picture of future history so that we'll be encouraged. Now, remember, the goal of the book of Revelation for its original readers was so that they would be encouraged in spite of knowing difficult times lay ahead. In spite of the uncertainty, John wanted to pass on the vision God gave to him to be revealed that Jesus would win, that Jesus would conquer, and they can rest easy, even in the midst of difficulty. And John is bringing all this into view. And last week we saw that Christians, the the church, values this story above all other stories. In fact, this is part of membership for us, and I even want to draw it into a very distinct relief for us. Like one of the pro- process, In the process of becoming a covenant member of Connection Church, we, we invite and ask people to write what we call a story of grace. Right? A story of grace. And all we're doing is simply trying to, as best we can, honor what we see here. Now, 1 Peter 3 says it this way, that in your hearts you honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And you do so with gentleness and respect. And so this is just one of those baseline expectations for Christians that if, if someone were to walk in and say, hey, wh- why are you guys singing, right? What, what is this you're so excited about? And we'll, we'll be like, I have a reason. I have, I'm glad you asked. There is a reason. I have been invited into a story in which Jesus wins. The king conquers and he draws us into his very family. And so this is even a a concrete part of what it means to be a member of our church. To say that we value this story above all other stories is to simply be Christian. Is to say that the story that has captivated us, it's enchanted us, it's mesmerized us, is this story of God's victory and inviting us into it. But what we see here is the group of people is also drawn into relief. What does it mean to be a community enthralled by, mesmerized this, by this story? What does that look like? And, and we, we, in the same way that we kind of saw what, uh, what it means to have a gospel identity, because we're wrapped up in this story, we also apparently have a distinctive view to relationships, family, friendship, the way that we relate to one another and to the world is brought into view as we identify ourselves within this story. And the goal here is perfection in Christ. Did you catch that? Things are being removed that are awful and terrible that are passing away and things are brought into being that were not. And last week we saw in this story that Jesus is making all things new and he removes, as we saw, all suffering. And this week he removes all the imperfections of his people. Next week we'll see that that includes even the nations. Some weeks ago, I was speaking with a pastor friend of mine, and this pastor shared a story of lament and grieving. This is a a pretty difficult time. Um, Things are uncertain, and all I'll say is that in 2020, a lot has been revealed, right? Maybe a lot of stuff you didn't really want to know. Maybe we really like to keep it a secret, but if, if nothing is... If nothing is more certain than that, we, we have, a lot has been revealed. We've learned a lot, right? Now, I shared with you months ago, some of that's good. I'm grateful. It's been revealed just how invincible we think we are. Like, we really think our structures and ways of life are the way. And an invisible virus comes along and goes, not really, right? And we realize how polarized and divided we are. A, a lot has been revealed. And a, a pastor friend of mine shared with me a lament of a family that that had left their church and, and then had even left the faith. And, and he was just grieving as, as, as is custom, right? Like 
first, second, and third John showed like this is what happens. Some people who would claim the name of Jesus, time will reveal that their loyalty is elsewhere. And, and he ran into this family, and the wife specifically was speaking to them. He and his wife were speaking to them, and, and they were telling a story about how in their city they, they had a, a democratic convention, uh, like a, a get-together for the Democrats in that city. It was like a, a democratic reality for the people in that, or uh, excuse me, a, a, a democratic rally for, for people in that city. And, and the wife shared with that family, and I quote, it was so refreshing to be around people with the same values. What a profound definition of community. It was so refreshing to be around people with the same values. Now it's profound. Her, her statement really taps into the depths of the human experience, doesn't it? The desire for all of us to belong the fear that's inside of all of us for, for being rejected or cast out. And she really had tapped into something. And even though I would disagree with where she found that refreshment, she really was on to something. There was a depth of refreshment found in being surrounded by, included in a people with the same set of values. Because as John comes to the end of his vision of the magnificent sight of the, the final state of all things, he says there will be a group of people gathered together under the name of the, you hear the language of the Lamb of God, that is Jesus. The sacrificial atonement that draws us back to God will gather a people who find refreshment, joy, and hope because they share the same values. And as we as a church think about what values we'll fight and die for, John says there are a set of values. There is a story that gives us meaning that creates us into a people distinct from others that value different things. And this bigger story explains the smaller ones. But I want to note these markers of this Christian community. That is the invitation for you and I to live right now as the local church in covenant membership in such a way that locates our own existence within the broader scope and story that God is unfolding in all of history. Let's walk through some of these together. We saw last week the things that are missing, the things that are coming, but, but I want to draw very specific attention to a couple of things as we overlap from last week and set the stage for our next week. He says all these things are coming to pass. They're, they're going to be beautiful. They're going to be great. But, but notice what he says in verse 3. There's something here, and just like every other thing we see in the book of Revelation, that, that's a, a bow that's being tied on the previous story of the Bible. I heard a loud voice in the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That is that God, the creator of the universe, the, the God who's sovereign over every single thing, will no longer be so distinct and separate from us, but instead will be, look at that, with us. You're that dwelling place. God and humanity are going to dwell together. And then it says, they will be his people. They have a distinct identity that God's presence absolutely changes everything. Here's the way we would say this as a church. The most attractive feature of the local church is the manifest presence of God. 
I mean, think about it. It's built into our rhythms. Apart from this, it's really ridiculous. So if you're in this room, maybe you're not a believer in Jesus, you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus or a Christian, I'm so glad you're here because in many ways this story is an invitation for you to lean in and to, and to eavesdrop and say, what is this all about? And so if there's things that we do together today as a, as a church that seem ridiculous, here's a, I won't defend myself. I'll be like, you're right. That, that, if, if God isn't real and if he's not present, that's absurd. For example, the book ended on everything that we do is something that we do prayer. We pray. Like, I think we, some of us, we close our eyes. Some of us may open, maybe, some, maybe you pray, watch and pray. Maybe that's what some of you do. Maybe we're like, but we pray, we, we pray. Someone leads us in the front of what to pray. Here's the thing. If God isn't present to hear that, what an idiotic thing to do. And how full, like, I mean, who are you talking to? Are you, I mean, are you, why don't we just like kind of ruminating our own thoughts and maybe like in some therapeutic way, hoping they make us feel, well, I'm glad I got that off my chest, right? Like, but here's the thing, and you really can't get around this. If God's not present, that's just one of the most ridiculous things that we do. But if God is present, if God is, in fact, omnipresent, God, God knows our thoughts and knows our hearts because he crafted them himself, then there's, there's a sense in which, like, why wouldn't we do this? Look, the most famous person you could think of, if they walked in the room, would you ignore them? Or would you want to run up there and take a selfie with them? Or would you want to run up there and get their, like, wouldn't you, like, would you, oh, if the most admirable person, honorable person you can imagine in all the world, if they walked into the room, how would you react? Friend, did you get it? Did you, you catch the, the attractive nature of that? It's the most attractive feature of the local church. And we readily expect God to show himself and do what he has promised to do. Simply because we find ourselves in this story where at the end of time, God's manifest presence will permeate everything. Did you catch it? Even the presence will, it will, it will make it such that we won't even need any sunlight. Right? The sun will disappear. The sun will, we don't know if it will exist or, or, or what, but it, there's, it just says there's no need for it. There'll be no, no more light because the glory of the presence of God and Jesus will cast out all shadows. We'll be with them. But notice the them language. Did you catch that throughout the whole bit? Now this is what's especially distinct about us is that we have, over the last couple of centuries, been steeped in, in, a, in a renaissance of ideas, literally a, a, a new birth of ideas that, that highly value what we would describe as the individual, the autonomy of the individual self, right? Now, it, it's birthed a lot of beautiful things, like that's what we believe about religious liberty and basic freedoms and civil rights are, are based in this idea that an individual person made in the image of God has intrinsic value. But the subtle trajectory of that over the last couple of centuries is not that individuals have intrinsic value. It's that the individual has supreme value. And notice it says that in the end, this gift that God is granting to the people, the promise that he's fulfilling, can't be contained by an individual. Notice the themness of this story. Yes, I made up a word. 
But there's like a, there's this sense in which whatever is coming to pass is plural. It includes a people. Now we'll see next week it actually includes this, a new word the Bible makes up is peoples invited into this. But there's a, a we, there's a, a sense in which there's something going on here that you and I can't experience only individually. Certainly is that. But it's not only that. Notice, he will be present with them. Them. Now this is something we see throughout the entirety of the Bible. That the presence of God with his people is what gives life. The first story of the Bible, how everything came to be, starts with that in the beginning, right? There was the heavens and the earth, the old ones. Now they're going to be some new ones. But what, what, what was the descriptor of that? Right? They were formless and void. Empty. And what happened in that emptiness? God filled the emptiness with himself, with the sound of his own voice. And when he fills the emptiness with himself, life and light come into being. Did you hear that? That's the very first story. And notice, it's also the last story. That in the presence of God, darkness flees, death disappears, and life and light come into being. And God works in that emptiness all the time. It's the beautiful gift that we have. In fact, the first story of this people coming into being starts with a story of emptiness. A woman named Sarah is described as having a womb that is literally dried up. It's empty. And what's that story? God, God fills the emptiness and starts the trajectory of his promise being fulfilled. Another woman comes along. And it's strange that she is having a child, also miraculous, but not because her womb is barren, but because she'd never been with a man. And yet, what, what is the story of, of the Mary, the mother of Jesus, but that God filled the emptiness with his very presence, and life and light emerged. God fills the emptiness. It's the story of the Bible. And it is the most attractive feature of the church. Listen to the early church's story. Peter and John, apostles of Jesus, when they saw that is after these miracles had been performed and this powerful movement had started where churches started being planted, now they, that is the crowds, they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were uneducated common men and they were astonished, right? Like the thing that was astonishing about Peter and John and the people following Jesus was that they were really not astonishing, right? The, the impressive qualities of these men were that they were really unimpressive. Like, I, I, wouldn't you love someone to say that about it? But Certainly he's uneducated. That's, uh, I don't know much about him, but uh, pretty sure he was uneducated. Like, that's, uh, are you sure? What, what do you remember? Uneducated. Uneducated. Like, you, you get that picture in your mind? That's, 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 that's what we, we see here. And yet, what is noteworthy? Recognize that what? They had been... Do you get it? When God is present and the void is filled by His very presence and His very Word, life and light emerge. And the distinctive quality of God's people isn't that they're particularly impressive. That's what the world shoots for. The thing that's powerful and can't be denied is the very presence of God. And so we are a community of people marked. Again, <laughs> Not by how impressive we are, 
right? Uh, just, just imagine, imagine how insulting, like given how you were raised, probably if you're like me, uh, with purple ribbons and told you were a snowflake, right? Imagine, how, imagine if someone wrote the storybook and it was like, yeah, it was really common. That person was incredibly common. Oh, and uneducated. And yet for the Christian, we go, that's fine, that's fine. I don't mind all that. You know why? Because I've been with Jesus. And the very presence of God, of God has filled the void. And now I have light and life where there once was death and darkness. So this is what the community is meant to look like. I want to ex- express as best I can like the, the we and themness of this, just, just briefly. As a pastor, I've been trying to figure out how to kind of talk about this, especially in the last year. People, I like. I mean, it, I have a weird job. I, I don't try to defend myself from that. Uh, I just joke with it. Like I, I work half a day a week. That's what I do. I don't know what you do, but <laughs> half a day a week. And it's a weird job being a pastor. And I don't want your pity. It's a phenomenal privilege. But like people are like, what do you do? What do you really? Do? And, and I've thought like, what is the work? What is the thing that's arduous, difficult? Like what is the thing? I'm like, man, that, that's exhausting, or that keeps me up at night. And, and here's the way I've, I've kind of figured it out. Mostly, I help people cope with the failure of their individualism. Mostly, I help people cope with the devastating consequences of their narcissism. That's what I do. I mostly just help walk people through the devastating effects of their radical individualism. I call it an individualistic fundamentalism. And here's the the thing. I have great job security. Because <laughs> uh, our economy of narcissism and self-centeredness, it's booming. It is booming. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, the economy is, like, falling off a cliff right now. But not if you're investing in self-centeredness. Boy, man, it is, it, this is the market for you. We are, I mean, we have, like, I don't know, how many opinions are there right now? How many experts are there? Like, how many self-proclaimed like, prophets of our day are there? Like, we love ourselves. We love the sound of our own voice. And so here's, we don't seem to be running out of self-centeredness. And here's the funny thing. COVID has actually made the market of self-centeredness explode. And there are two reasons why I spend most of my time helping people cope with the failure of their radical individualism. One is that individual life script does not actually work. I meet people regularly who find out that using marriage to get what they wanted, using college or a career or friends or relationship to get the pleasure they wanted actually doesn't work. It doesn't even work, just practically speaking. And it crushes us. It makes us incapable of dealing with reality. It has no discipline. Often it can't even make a phone call or show up to something on time. It always needs me time. It always needs a personal day. And so here, friend, if you're like me, maybe in the rest of the world right now, we're drowning in our own anxiety about this. Just stop for a moment. As we we address that deep anxiety and depression, that that low-grade fear we're all feeling, just stop for a minute and, and and think, is it possible that God has revealed something that is the, this individualistic life script, right? That, that we're the director and the star of every single scenario. Is it possible it, it's not actually working? But the second reason 
that I spend most of my time helping people cope with the failure of individualism is here. That individual life script simply isn't true. The reason it's so unfulfilling is because it's just not true. And this would be a great place. If it were true, this would be a great place that if we get to Revelation 21, your name would be here, right? And, and, and I'm making all things new, and, and the dwelling place of God is with, and your first and last name would be here. But it's not, is it? The glory that is granted to God's people won't fit into your existence. And it actually delights God to share it with the people. Notice the them, the people. It's a city. It's a community. It's a family. It's a shared identity coming from God down into reality. And so here's what I have. What are you currently do with your disappointment and emptiness? Look, We've all been worshiping things. The Bible calls them idols. We've all been trusting in things and, and worshiping things and hoping in things that we didn't even know existed until the past few months. Right? Mine is productivity. Like I, I didn't realize how much fulfillment and satisfaction I get into productivity until you stop or at least chop off most of the productivity any of us get to have this year, Right? And I'm walking around with this low-grade dissatisfaction, this emptiness. What about you? Because notice that the key feature of this people is that God fills the emptiness. God fills it. That's the truest part of the story. God works in the emptiness. Look at the way that Paul tells the Ephesians. Speaking of Jesus, he put all things under his feet, or God did this for Jesus, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who does what? Fills all in all. Like, Do you feel that emptiness? Do you feel that low-grade dissatisfaction that you and I are walking around with right now? It's an invitation to be filled. It's an invitation to go, oh, no wonder that was so dissatisfying. It was never meant to fill me. I mean, you're mad that your spouse didn't satisfy you. Your relationship doesn't satisfy you. Your calendar, you're, you're like, I don't know why these things are so unsatisfying. And I get to come along and go like, well, that's not how they were designed anyway. God loves you too much even to let those things satisfy you. Notice the, that feature of the local church being the manifest presence of God experiencing a flood of presence is, is also clear. Did you catch what, what's also not going to be present? In chapter 1, at the very end of that first section we covered last week, notice, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion is what? And a lake that burns with fire and sulfur, a second death. The people of God flooded by, entranced by the presence of God, are then able to experience a, a reality check. Oh, these things will burn. And, and I, I want to be very clear on this. As a community, we can expose and confess sin, just like it's listed here, not because we're condemned by it. Which I know, as you read that list of, of sin, right, right there in chapter 8, you're like, Ugh, how, you know, who are you to say, right? It's, and, and, you know, who are you to judge me? I'm, friend, I'm not judging you. I'm just, because I love you, those things will burn. Man, they don't last. 
They don't work. And we can talk about that readily and truthfully, because not because we're condemned by those things, but because in Christ we're not. The Lamb, we find here, has come and paid for the penalty of all these things. And as a community, we can regularly confess these things. We can bring them to the surface and say, hey, these things don't satisfy. And notice how comprehensive this list is. It's not, not, to be complete. That's not meant to be completely comprehensive, but it covers a lot. It really doesn't leave any room for anyone to go like, whoa, well, those are the real losers, right? Because it even includes like liars or cowardly, faithless. Anybody want to be the one that stands up and say, oh, I'm, I'm always truthful. I'm always faithful. And you're meant to say like, oh, look, look, these things are detestable. Not because God desires to crush you in them, but because God desires to deliver you from them. And it's loving for a community to bring those things to the surface. Look, in the same way that it would be loving for me to say, I don't know, if I came to your house and, and you just regularly poured gasoline on everything, like your house and your furniture, just poured gas on it, it would be loving for me to say like, hey, don't do that. Please don't do that. And you might say like, well, why not? And here's what I would say. is like, because it's combustible. It's going to burn, man. I mean, maybe not right now, but you keep, keep doing it. And it's going to burn up. And, and it's loving to say, like, brother, sister, I love you enough to say this thing that you're pursuing, that you're looking to for hope, it's going to burn. It's going to be unsatisfying. And we're the group of people out of love who go like, whoo, thank God that I am being delivered from these things. Not because we've been condemned by it. But notice, as we locate ourselves as a community in this story, the end of our story allows us to be honest about the beginning of our story. Right? Like, you can say, yeah, I, yeah, I, I belong on that list. Right? I know, I, I, can, I can identify or resonate with at least a couple of these things. And I can say that freely because I know the end of the story. God's presence fills these people. And then they, like, notice this massive section about the details of what this people will look like and where and how they will dwell. Did you catch that? I slowed down to pronounce some of these words rightly because I had to look some of them up. I, did, you, did you say like the detail with which this ornate city has been just like fashioned? It talks about the glass. It's, it's not necessarily transparent. They may not be the best way to translate it, but glass at that particular time was just shiny, sparkly. And so there's a sense in which all of the most beautiful things that we could imagine are invested in this place or this new heaven and new earth where we will be united with God forever. And the fulfillment of the promise, remember, to, that Jesus would save his church from Ephesians 5. And a few chapters earlier, the, blessed is the one who's invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb, that is the bride that is in splendor. Did you catch it? Who's the bride, right? Who's, who's the one? It's, it's the people of God. It's a holy city, a people set apart for his purposes. A people that know the beginning of their story is worth talking about. So here's, here's just a, a metric for that. Right, did you catch how these things are being cleaned up and removed to, to make room for greater joy and that void filled by the presence of God? Here's one of the ways I would ask it. Who knows your secret hopes, dreams, fears, and sins? For just a minute, who knows those secret hopes, secret dreams, secret fears, 
secret sin. Friend, if the people that come to mind aren't a part of the church to which you belong, you're just doing it wrong. You're telling a deficient story. And we can readily, I know that's, that's crazy, right? Like, why, why would I trust anyone with that? Well, again, if the presence of God wasn't manifestly visible, if there wasn't something being redeemed in it, then you're right, that would be a terrible idea. But if it just so happens that us as a people are being caught up into this story where God redeems all things, make all things new, then it seems like it would benefit us to begin that process now. And so, friend, this is what the people of God ought to look like. The very presence of God ought to be seen in this. But notice the language of the bride and groom. A local church will be marked by giving and receiving covenantal love. Like This language of marriage is, again, it's found in the entirety of the Bible of how God lovingly pursues his unfaithful spouse, that is, his people. They always want something else. They always go after different things. And, and even several years ago, we walked through the book of Hosea, a prophet that God sent to demonstrate that unfaithfulness. He said, hey, go marry a woman who's going to cheat on you. And he's like, why would I do that? It's like, so that you will demonstrate to my people what it looks like when I love someone. I don't love them because they're faithful. I love them because I'm faithful. And the fulfillment of that promise, the, like the, this picture of this grand reunion is a wedding and a bride that comes from God. And so therefore, we start to look that way. We start to exchange, just think about it, in, in a time of deep transience, where it's really uncommon for you to have deep friendships longer than five years. We start to build relationships that testify to eternity. Like just, hey, maybe... Be nicer to that person. You're going to spend eternity with them. If you're in Christ and they're in Christ, hey, practice. It's, it's going to be a long eternity. And so begin to experience that now. We, we, otherwise, again, just, just think. All we're doing, if we don't do that, we're just testifying to an earthly kingdom. We're testifying to an unsatisfactory kingdom. We're testifying to a type of relating that will burn. But I want to end on this. Notice at the, the picture of this is square. It's cubicle even. It says that there's a, like some four, almost 1,400 miles wide, tall, and long, right? It's perfectly cubed. And it's, again, verses upon verses of how the fulfillment of the, of the prophecy, right? That, that the 12 tribes is fulfilled in the 12 apostles. Like every promise comes to pass in these people. And it's, it's ornate, it's beautiful, it's, it's everything you could want, and it's perfectly symmetrical. Do you know there's only one other time in the Bible? And remember, this is what Revelation does. It's an apocalyptic vision. So you're meant to go like, what does that symbolize, right? The, the goal isn't that like we get to heaven and you get out of tape measure, okay? That's not the goal here. You're not going to be like, well, is this literally true? I'm going to step this off for 1,380 miles or something, whatever, right? That's not the purpose, okay? So again... For some of you, maybe you get excited about the book of Revelation because you think that's what this is about. It's not. It's about the glory of Jesus revealed to his people, right? And so, so there's this perfectly cubical shape. You know the only other time that the Bible talks about this is when it describes the holy of holies in the temple. 
the most holy place. The most holy place where where the priest once a year would go in and make atoning sacrifices for himself and for the sins of his people. A place where no one else was allowed but the priest once a year. But notice what he's saying about these people. In Christ, I borrowed all these superlatives from a commentary and I really respect. In Christ, all of God's people are always and forever in the immediate presence of God. Because of Christ. Now, again, I'm a word nerd out here, right? Immediate. It means without a mediator. That is, there's no priest to mediate the presence of God. There's no one to mediate the presence of God. Instead, we always and forever will be in the manifest presence of God. Friend, because of Christ, regardless of the beginning of our story, in Christ, the end of our story ends in the very presence of God. This story starts in a garden where people walked with God, and it ends in a city where we walk with God. And the presence of God is so bright and so powerful that it makes the sun obsolete. It's perfect and clean. Friend, don't you long for that? And maybe you're loving 2020, right? Maybe this is, you're, you're really loving this year. Good for you. I'd love to help me out. But don't, don't you long for something else? Notice, don't you long for relationships like this? Don't you long? Do you remember, those, remember the words I shared like? Don't you long for the, how refreshing it is to be around people who share your values? Then friend, let's find our story located in this greater story of God redeeming his people for his glory. Of God not withholding any pleasure, any luxury, any sort of joy or happiness, but locate yourselves inside of a story of a people who find their ultimate joy and pleasure in the very presence of God. A story that begins in a garden and ends in a city in the very presence of God. Let's pray together. Let's ask God to bring that to pass even for us. God, we thank you so much that you have seen fit not to abandon us. We thank you that you have seen fit to demonstrate your love for us, that while we were yet sinners, that you sent your Son to take our place. God, I confess that the, the script I typically hope in and trust in is one where I'm the center and I confess how dissatisfying that is. I, can, I, can, I even confess how destructive that is. If there's some in this room, maybe they're not believers in Jesus. Maybe they wouldn't call themselves a Christian. Or maybe right now they just don't know. Would you allow them even now to open their imagination to the possibility that those previous stories have been so dissatisfying to prepare them for this moment when they would experience the deep satisfaction of being invited into this great story? Thank you that because the beauty of this story is so pervasive at the ending, we can now be honest and truthful about its beginning. We can see the perfection and mercy and grace that that you're drawing us into and even now begin to experience it in confession and truthfulness. Maybe for the rest of us, we know this story. We've rehearsed it some time, but 
but we're still hiding things because we don't really believe this story is true. My, even now, you overwhelm us with the truth of this story such that in these moments we can confess secret sins, secret fears, and secret failures, knowing that all of these hopes, dreams, and fears will be satisfied and healed in you. Make all things new and start even in us this morning. Lord, we confess that we long for this kingdom to come. We long, we yearn, we groan, as Paul says, for this kingdom to come. Might we in hope trust with a radical sense of faith that you are bringing this to pass and making all things new. Begin to make this a a reality in our church and in our hearts this morning as we respond in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.